Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Mark 9, 30-37 They went on there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is betrayed into human hands, and they will kill them. And and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must look at, must be last of all his servants of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it into his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, not me, but the one who sent me. The word of God for the people of God. So likely, we've all seen it. That picture of Jesus welcoming the children. You know, the image just being a sweet scene of Jesus on a lush green hillside sitting with a child upon his knee and several at his feet, um, but his arms wide open, inviting more and more kids to come join him. I've always thought that it looked like the beginning of maybe the best storytime circle ever. We generally associate this image with a scene that occurs a little later in Mark, but our scripture for today stirs similar images in our mind, an idyllic scene of Jesus arm around the shoulders of a child, maybe even a quick side hug, and a reminder to love and welcome this sweet and precious child, because doing so is loving Jesus himself. These are the images that came to my mind for preparing for today's sermon, and as we celebrate 10 years of buddy break, I thought it only fitting that we look at some of these scriptures featuring kids their importance, God's love for them. I mean, who doesn't love a sweet story with a kid? Cute, adorable kid at the center of it, right? But whoa, was I in for a surprise. When I looked closer, these stories are smack in the middle of some pretty heavy stuff. The story of Jesus welcoming and blessing little children, even after the disciples rebuked their parents and sent them away, claiming that Jesus was too busy. That story occurs in the middle of arguments about marriage and deep discussions about eternal life and what one should do to gain entrance into heaven. Deep, heavy discussion with more than just a little arguing. Insert sweet scene with kid and then go back to some more heavy discussion. So here's what I found in today's story. Jesus and his disciples were gathered away from the crowds at this point. And then Jesus told them about his impending death and resurrection. The disciples don't really understand it. 
but they're scared to ask Jesus for more information. Let's hold on to that thought for just a moment. We'll come back to it. They were afraid to ask questions. So as time continued, they journeyed on to Capernaum, and there Jesus asked them what it was they had been arguing about on the road. I guess some things don't change. In my childhood and in my experience as a parent, there's nothing like a long road trip to spark a spat between travelers. If it happens in our air-conditioned cars, outfitted with on-demand radios, speaker phones, and movie screens, I can only imagine the level of travel arguments when walking along dusty roads in the heat of the day. When that was the primary mode of transportation, can you imagine what the are we there yet and all those arguments that happen in our back seats? Eventually, the disciples own up to arguing about who might be the greatest. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. You're both wrong. I'm the best. As you can imagine, Jesus had something to say about this, and without really chastising them for the act of arguing, he simply sits down and imparts some wisdom. Anyone who wants to be first should be the very last and the servant of all. One can only imagine that the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus meant by this, but they've already proven they're not going to ask the questions. This is when Jesus puts a child among them and tells them that whoever welcomes a little child in his name welcomes him and furthermore welcomes God. There are so many things about this that intrigue me. I have so many questions. Like, whose child was this? Where'd the kid come from? Why was the kid there? I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that when the adults in the room are getting it all wrong, Jesus diverts their attention to a child. It's kind of a cool tactic if you think about it. Most people tend to tone down their argument when a kid's around, right? Um, kids are cute and they tend to make people smile. But None of these are really why Jesus plops the kid down in the middle of them, in the middle of a pretty adult conversation. You see, in biblical times, children weren't seen as real people, or at least not real people yet. Children were simply there to do tasks and chores and keep the home and the, the land running well. They were a necessity of life, not a joy. Having children was of no benefit to one's social status, and the children themselves were seen as the lowliest of citizens, along with the servants. Jesus, by telling the disciples that they should welcome children, and that by doing so they were welcoming him, was flipping societal expectations and norms upside down. He was telling them to welcome the very people that society said to cast aside or to look beyond. So luckily, we've come a long way in our view of children as a whole. Most of us, at least, see children as a joy and a blessing. We revel in their accomplishments. We laugh at their goofy antics. We accept the interruptions and the demands of caretaking as part of a package that is totally worth it. So if children as a whole aren't our modern-day example of those cast to the side and overlooked and ignored, who is? 
Two stories came to mind this week as I thought through this question. The first is a story that I heard as I was headed to seminary. Not yet ready to be ordained, my home church wanted to license me into the ministry as a way to affirm God's call in my life and show me that they would support me through my seminary years. It was during that worship service that my pastor told me a story of two men as they entered heaven. As they met outside of the pearly gates, they learned that one was a pastor and one was a New York City cab driver. When Peter began calling folks one at a time through the gates, the pastor's name was called first. Upon entering, he was greeted with a cotton robe and a wooden staff, a silver chalice, and the welcome of angels singing. He smiled and was pleased with his welcome. As the cab driver entered, he was greeted with a silk robe, a golden staff, a crown of jewels, a platinum chalice, and a full orchestra playing a welcome song, fit for a king. The pastor looked around, confused, and asked about the discrepancy, stating that after all, you know, he was a pastor. Peter quickly explained, well, you see, sir, when you preached, everybody slept. When he drove, everybody prayed. This story was told to keep me humble and to remind me that there are many among us doing terrific and challenging things that we often tend to ignore and take for granted. It was told to remind me that ministers have no higher place or favor in God's eyes than anyone else. The story made a lasting impression on me. After all, that was 20 years ago, um, and I'm still able to remember it. I'm sure that the disciples remembered and talked about the day that Jesus put a child among them, stopped their argument of who was the greatest and least by challenging the social norm. Jesus challenged them to think more critically, to love more generously, and to welcome more widely. The second story that kept racing to my mind this week is one that's a little more recent. Over the last several years, I've made friends with a young person in my neighborhood, to be honest, neither one of us really knows each other's name, but we recognize each other when out in public. I first met this person on the playground. They were quite a bit older than the young kids playing after school, but nonetheless, they would show up regularly to play with and hang out with the younger kids. They were always kind and courteous. For the next several years, I got to watch this young person grow up from a distance. They were so excited to see me in a nearby parking lot and tell me all about learning to drive and getting their license. This is, of course, a huge accomplishment for any teenager, but this individual has some cognitive differences that make that particular accomplishment so much sweeter. They have to work harder than most of their peers for every accomplishment. Eventually, my regular point of contact with this young person came at their place of employment. I'm a regular there, and I love every chance to talk to them and to catch up on their life. More often than not, they speak to me before I even have a chance to say hello. They ask how I'm doing, they ask about my kids, and they catch me up on their own life. As senior year rolled around, I asked them about all the typical senior things, graduation and prom. And this is when they spoke words that I will never forget. 
They told me about attending prom and feeling out of place on a night that was supposed to be filled with joy and happiness. They told me about how their clothes made them feel out of place because others were dressed more formally than they, and how they didn't really have a lot of friends. Before I could even offer any words of encouragement, they continued with words that made me stop in my tracks. I never knew you could feel so alone in a room full of people, they said. I'm not real sure how I responded as I was holding back my own tears and wishing that no one ever felt like this. As I made my way back to my car, I couldn't shape the concept of feeling alone while surrounded by other people, seemingly all having a great time. What I still wrestle with isn't so much my friend's loneliness in that room, but how a room full of hundreds of other teenagers, no one noticed my friend. I know that a life coach might advise my friend to conquer their fear, get out there, make the first move toward friendship. Get on all that dance floor and bust a move. But dare I say that Jesus would put more responsibility on the other teens in attendance. Look around, he might say. Notice the students on the outside, the ones who are standing or sitting alone. Notice the kid who doesn't seem to have a friend group and who might look unsure about what to do next. How can we offer such a radical welcome that they no longer feel alone, but instead feel like they belong? If Jesus were here in the flesh today, encouraging us to welcome the unwelcome, the undervalued, the overlooked, I imagine that instead of a young child, he might place a cab driver or a lonely, socially awkward teenager in our midst. Maybe he would choose a homeless person who still smells of stale cigarette smoke and liquor. Perhaps it would be a person struggling with addiction who just doesn't know where to turn, or one of our LGBTQ plus siblings wondering if and where they might be welcome. Maybe it would be a refugee trying to make their way in a new country with a language they are still trying to understand dressed in clothing from their home country, because that's not only what makes them comfortable, that's who they are. If we open our eyes and our hearts, I think that we will see other marginalized people standing in the corners of our own worlds. Our world is built to its own social norm. It's different from the social norm of biblical times, but it exists now perhaps more than ever. Society places value on things that Jesus did not. Socioeconomic status, job title, address, ethnicity, gender, and so much more come into play. Even when we as individuals try hard to set all of those things aside, society as a whole places value and rank on them. How can we, as Jesus followers, offer a radical welcome to those whom the world places limits and closes doors? This is part of why I love Buddy Break Saturdays. I get to be a tiny part of a radical welcome to those who sometimes feel excluded, unwelcome, and othered by society. So many of our VIP kids live in a world that was not built for them. Buildings with no ramps 
heavy doors and no elevators and other obstacles. Our friends with mobility differences are far too often excluded because we as a society overlook their unique needs and fail to do everything we can to create a welcoming space for them. Our neurodivergent friends are often met with stares and judgment when their voices and bodies vocalize and move in ways that are misunderstood. When quietness and stillness are the societal expectation, but one's own, one's own body and brain just aren't wired that way. These friends are excluded, if not explicitly, implicitly, from everywhere, from movie theaters to worship services to restaurants and more. But for a few hours, one Saturday a month, these children and their families are welcomed with open arms and no judgment into this place and family that we call Greystone. For a few hours, we do everything we can to offer a truly radical welcome to those who are often met with obstacles, judgment, and welcome that is attached to expectations that are unrealistic or even unattainable. So let's go back to that scene where the disciples sat quiet, afraid to ask questions about what they didn't understand. Disciples who were caught up into the framework of societal expectations and rules and divisions. One of the things I love the very most about working with kids is that they are not afraid of these things. Kids will absolutely ask questions, and hard ones at that. If you ever truly want to think critically about your faith and the stories of our faith recorded in Scripture, come hang out with the children. In one Sunday alone, I was asked these questions. What color eyes did Jesus have? Did Jesus have curly hair? Did Jesus wear underwear? Is God ever wrong? What does Heavenly Father mean? If somebody's a bad person, does that mean their Heavenly Father is half God and half Satan? I think there were even more questions that morning. They were rattling off questions in rapid succession. It was like drinking theology from a fire hose. None of those questions were laid out. None of the answers were laid out neatly in a Sunday school teacher's lesson book. But questions are important, and they lead to greater understanding. And as hard as some of those questions were to answer on the fly, I'm glad that the kids asked them. Their questions make me think more critically about my own faith, how I see and perceive the world around me, and how God is working in our world today. Kids are generally also not really afraid to challenge the social norms. Kids are less likely to care if their shirt matches their shorts or if their socks match each other. Um, they don't care where you live or how much money you have. They're more likely to befriend the lonely or unliked kid on the playground than we are to invite the unliked person in the office to lunch with us. Kids by nature are critical thinkers. They ask why, why, every chance they can get, and they seek to know and understand better. Funny thing is, when kids ask why, they actually listen to the answer. Kids' insatiable need for deeper understanding is admirable. 
When we seek to understand, inclusion comes easier. When we seek to understand, judgment dissipates. When we seek to understand, fewer and fewer people feel alone in a crowd. When we seek to understand, love comes more easily. When we seek to understand, our doors open wider and our welcomes become more radical. So how can we, as individuals, as families, as Jesus followers, as a church, do better, do a better job of welcoming others in the name of Jesus?